Chapter Thirteen of the Great White Queen by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirteen: The Way of the Thousand Steps. To describe in detail our long, toilsome journey and the terrible hardships we suffered during the next two months is unnecessary. Suffice it to say that, without means of barter, unarmed, and living upon fruit and roots, we tramped along that narrow path through the pestilential marshes and the great forests where no light penetrated through the thick foliage of the giant trees for several weeks, always due north and passing villages sometimes, until we crossed the Seine River, ascended the mountains beyond, and found ourselves upon a great level grass-covered plateau which occupied us several days in traversing. At last we came to the border of Prempe's kingdom, crossed the Volta River that wound in the brilliant sunshine for many miles like a golden thread among the trees, and soon entered the fertile valley of the Tagambas, a wild-looking tribe who were allies of the great Naya. At Yendi, seven days' march through the bush from the Volta, we interviewed the Dagamba king and received a most enthusiastic welcome. Presents of food and slaves were given us, as well as a musket each, with some curious ivory-hilted knives, and we were treated as honored guests of his sable majesty, who, Omar informed me, was indebted to the Naya for his royal position. This welcome was therefore only what we expected. Nevertheless, our life during the few days at Yendi was of a very different character to the miserable existence we had experienced during our long march to the confines of Ashanti but Omar was impatient to fulfill the commands of his mother, and we did not remain longer than was absolutely necessary in order not to give offence to the king. However, one morning we snapped fingers with him, and with two hundred decidedly savage-looking men as escort, we moved away still due north on our journey to the mysterious land of the Great White Queen. The king of Dagamba had told me, in answer to my enquiries, that neither himself nor any of his men had ever entered Mo. The inhabitants were a very powerful and fearless people, he knew, and their soldiers were as numerous as an army of locusts. The men of Mo were an admirable race, he added, and although no stranger had ever been admitted to the mysterious realm, yet its power was feared by every West African ruler without exception. It gratified me to think that I should be the first to set foot within a land forbidden to any who had not been born there, and I grew extremely impatient to set eyes upon the country to the throne of which my light-hearted friend Omar was heir. Traveling quickly, with but few delays, we crossed the Basanga country, mainly covered by dense dark forests and unhealthy marshes, where the odor of decayed vegetable matter was sickening, until we came to a great mountain rearing its snowy crest into the clouds, which Omar told me was called the Nauri. Hence, when we had rested two days to recruit in the sunlight after the dispiriting gloom of the primeval forest, we held on our way, passing many native villages, the inhabitants of each showing marked friendliness towards our Dagambas. Kona, our headman, was a tall, pleasant-faced negro, raw-boned and awkward, with huge hands and splay feet. But his muscles were hard as iron and his strength astounding. He treated Omar as a prince always deferential to his wishes, and regarded me as an honored visitor to the unknown but powerful protector of his sovereign. 
though fraught with many dangers on account of the wild beasts lurking in the forest and the snakes on the plains our journey nevertheless proved extremely pleasant for in kona we found a true and sympathetic friend once he spoke to me of queen victoria and his words amused me he said with impressive earnestness ah the queen of the english is next to the great white queen the mightiest and cleverest woman in the world she sees the treasures in the interior of the earth and has them lifted she spans the world with iron threads and when she touches them they carry her words into the world she has steamers running on dry land if a mountain is in her way she has a hole made through it if a winter interferes she builds a road across in the air and the queen of the english and the great white queen of mo are richer than all other women together they are the most beautiful women in the world and their husbands paid nothing for them when at night around our camp we would relate to him the treachery of kuaga and our adventures in the hands of samurai and prempeh he would stir the embers viciously and call down the curse of samara upon them all when the son of the great naya of mo punishes his enemies kona will go and assist in their destruction he said one night kona's knife shall seek their hearts so it shall omar had replied assured of the loyalty of this negro ally you are our guide and friend rest assured that when we enter mo you shall not be forgotten and we went forward next day all in excellent spirits all eager to enter the unknown land a few days march from the mystic mountain of nauri we approached a little town called imagu but found it had been sacked and burned evidently by arab slave traders who omar said were constantly descending upon the towns and villages on the border of his land at evening we went over the ruins of what not long ago must have been a populous trading town saw how wanton had been the destruction and judged from the heaps of bleaching bones how terrible had been the butchery of its inhabitants at dawn however we moved forward again but at noon while we were descending a beautiful fertile valley kona stopped suddenly gazed around wonderingly and then halting his men addressed them telling them that they were about to enter a country wherein no stranger had ever before set foot and urging them to patiently face any difficulty they found in their path and to offer sacrifices of food to the fetish to give them strength to surmount all obstacles omar with folded arms stood by and listened when kona had finished he raised his hand saying men of the dagamba you have guided us to the furthermost limit of the earth as known to you in fact to the point where your knowledge of this land ends and mine commences for this service you deserve reward and i omar prince of mo promise that none who have accompanied me hither shall leave the palace of the great white queen without his just reward two hundred black faces thereupon glistened with delight all were eager to see the wonders of this much talked of country but the promise of a reward at the hands of the great queen was a pleasant surprise that evoked the wildest enthusiasm they yelled with pleasure bestowed upon us all the terms of adulation until they exhausted their vocabulary and blew their elephant's tusks until i confess i was compelled to stuff my fingers into my ears fearing deafness lead us on o our lord the prince they cried let us go forward we will follow thee if thou wilt point out the right path leading into mo 
and appease thy land's jealous guardians who smite back all would-be intruders with swords of fire. This latter was a tradition. I had heard it many times during my journey with Omar. The natives of Ashante, of King, of Gurunzi, and of Dagomba had all told me that the country of Mo, wherever it might be situated, was surrounded by a great cordon of guards, demons they believed them to be, who had never allowed a stranger to enter, for they simply lifted their deadly swords that blazed like firebrands and slew the offending wanderer. The guardians of Mo shall be appeased, Omar assured them. Not a hair on the head of any of our party shall be injured, although the way is still long and full of terrors and pitfalls. But I will lead, and those who obey will enter Mo. Those who depart from my words will assuredly perish. Omar, Prince of Mo, has spoken. May the fetish be good, they all cried aloud. We will follow and attend to each word that falleth from thy lips. Then in a few minutes we moved on again down the long beautiful valley through which a clear river wound among green swards and clumps of trees, forming a park-like scene such as might have been witnessed in England. Presently, however, the character of the country suddenly changed, and we were passing through a rocky defile, arid and waterless, while at the end could be seen a wide-open country, without rock or tree stretching away as far as the eye could reach to the misty horizon. It appeared like a great limitless wilderness, and those in front quickened their pace in order to fully view the character of the land we were approaching. For their haste, however, they received an unpleasant reward. When those who ran forward emerged into the open plain, they suddenly found the soft earth gave way beneath their feet without warning, and ere they realized their danger, a dozen of them were struggling up to their armpits in the sea of fine ever-shifting sand that seemed kept in constant motion by some unknown natural cause. With each movement they sank deeper until, fearing that the sandy quagmire would envelop and suffocate them, they cried aloud for assistance. Help was ready at hand, for the remainder of our followers ran forward, and stretching forth ropes of monkey-creeper were enabled to drag out their intrepid companions, much to Omar's amusement. Those who deviate from the course that I myself take will assuredly perish, he exclaimed a moment later. Then, turning to me, he added, This desert you see before you is one of the barriers dividing my land from those of our enemies. To those who know not the secret it is impassable. Yes, I answered, surprised at the strange treacherous character of the sand. Those who ventured upon it had narrow escapes. Exactly. Any weight upon its surface will sink to the depth of many feet, sucked down as swiftly and surely as a piece of wood is drawn down by a whirlpool. In an attempt to cross this unsafe region many men have lost their lives, for once upon its surface escape is impossible. See? And he cast his staff away upon the sand. In an instant it had sunk out of sight. Then how shall we gain the land beyond, I asked, in fear at the soft nature of the earth's surface? There is but one way. It is known only to the Naya and to myself, and is called the way of the thousand steps. Its existence is preserved as a royal secret in case my family are compelled at any time to fly from our country, in which case they could escape safely, while all their pursuers would assuredly be overwhelmed and perish. 
For that reason the knowledge has been for centuries solely in the keeping of the reigning Naya or Naba. It was by this secret path that I left Mo and came to you in England. By the same path I return. Lead the way, we will follow, I said. Come, men, he exclaimed, lifting his hand as he addressed them. Fear not, but follow so closely in my footprints that your feet obliterate them, and I will bridge the great gulf that lieth between Mo and the outer world. The mishap to the advance guard had evoked the wildest speculations among the natives, and all were eagerly pressing forward when, in a few moments, Omar took up his position before them, and urging the utmost caution, held up the staff he took from my hand, taking what appeared to be the bearings between his own eye and the summit of a low mound far away on the horizon. The preparations did not take long, and very soon, with his staff held in the same position before him, he began to venture forward upon the unsafe sand. Carefully he trod the great treeless plain, being followed by all in single file. With such caution did we tread, and so excited were we all, that at first scarcely a word was spoken. Very soon, however, with confidence in Omar's leadership, the natives grew hilarious again, and keeping straight behind the young prince they found the way, about a foot in width, hard, although dry, and extremely unpleasant to tread. Nevertheless we all were ready to encounter and overcome every obstacle, providing that we could enter the forbidden land, and thus we went forward. Now and then one of the natives, in speaking to the man next behind him, would turn and thus deviate from the path over which Omar had passed, and he would quickly pay for this carelessness, suddenly finding himself floundering helplessly up to his ears in the deadly quicksands. Then the whole of our party would halt, and, amid broad laughter and much ridicule, the unfortunate one would be dragged forth from a certain and terrible doom. But the path was not straight. Heedless of the chatter and excitement behind him, Omar walked on before, his staff raised on a level with his eye, counting aloud each step he took, measuring the distance, until when he had taken a thousand paces he suddenly stopped, examined the ground well, and then turning at exact right angles, took bearings by another mound that I had noticed far in the distant haze. Again and again we faced always at exact angles after passing a thousand steps, so that our path became a zigzag one, long and toilsome with many halts, yet without rest and without seeing anything beyond the wondrous expanse of burning sky and the loose sand that swallowed all things dead or living. Everything thrown upon it sank and disappeared almost as quickly as iron cast into water. End of chapter 13 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com